morning, everyone. Friends, our first reading uh, talks about, uh, really it tells us that God is given to do that which is wicked. Uh, and the choice will come down to life or death for them. But he gives it to them. He said, it's your choice. And our second reading speaks about the wisdom that can come only from God. And that wisdom is not only about uh, precepts and laws and how to live rightly, but uh, it also speaks about these wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him with all their hearts. He's speaking about heaven. And uh, Jesus puts forth in the gospel a new standard of goodness. And my friends, I want to tell you first, um, the reading from the gospel is part of Jesus' Sermon of the Mount. Most people, when they hear Sermon of the Mount, they think of the Beatitudes only. Blessed are they who, blessed are they. But this reading is also part of his Sermon of the Mount. And the Sermon of the Mount is speaking about righteousness and holiness and justice. It's certainly not in the viewpoint of the world, but from God. And Jesus is speaking about the law. And you need to know something if you don't know this about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, God gives them to Moses. Moses takes his people out of Egypt and puts them into the desert. And for the first time, they are going to become a nation. But they did things, and it was really corrupt, and it was awful, and this is what they knew, and they were living their lives the same way. So God gives to Moses the beginning codes, the Ten Commandments. Those were the beginning. Those were the basic laws. And those were really difficult. And it would take hundreds of years before the Israelites, the Jewish people, could even begin to really get it into their system. That's why Moses went on to write 612 other laws. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were designed to help them with the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Whew. I think our law system is that way too, right? Don't speed, and then there's a billion other laws that go with that. But you see what I'm getting at? It was the basics. It was just the beginning. And by the time Jesus enters into the world and he's at the, giving his sermon on the mount, he already assumes that everyone knows the basics. You're not supposed to kill. You're not supposed to steal. Don't be mean. And he's going to take them to a different level. Now, my friends, today we Christians, we live... Uh, in a world or in a society where we're governed by two venues of laws. And uh, there is the civil law, and uh, there is the moral law. Most times they are in harmony, but sometimes they are in serious conflict. And when a conflict occurs, we must follow the higher moral teaching, the higher moral law of Jesus Christ. In doing this, uh, we have to be prepared to accept the civil consequences, uh, whatever they may be. In today's gospel, as I said, which is part of Jesus' Sermon of the Mount, Jesus speaks of two laws, that of the law and the prophets, and his own. They are not in conflict with each other, but they are different in quality from one another. The verbiage Jesus says, you have heard it said to your ancestors. He's referring to Moses, the law, the prophets. 
And Jesus makes it very clear to us. He has not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but he is here to fulfill it, and that means he is here to perfect it. The law and the prophets, uh, prophets basically, they're contained in the Ten Commandments. That's how they understood it. That's how most Christians understand it also. Here's the challenge. They have been interpreted in a way that Jesus disapproved of. By who? The Pharisees and the scribes. And this then, Jesus comes into conflict with the religious leaders about their interpretations. The Ten Commandments are about righteousness and about standing in right relationship with God and with neighbor. Neighbor means everyone outside of you. So husbands and wives, when Jesus says, and you must treat your neighbor, he's talking about you must treat your wife that way. Your wife is your neighbor, but your wife. Wives, your husband is your neighbor, but your husband. Brother, that your neighbor is your sister. Because people might say, well, my wife isn't my neighbor. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. The first three commandments have to do with the right relationship with God. If you're not sure, I have them outside in stone. That's my sense of humor because God gave them to Moses in stone. <laughs> so they're out by the fountain in stone. But you can go read them. The last seven have to do with your right relationship with your neighbor, meaning with others. The old law said that we must worship God, and the people were doing this. But Jesus said that they are to worship God in a more excellent way. He would say with all of their heart, not just with their lips or external things. So he's looking at a holy way, an excellent way about doing this. The old law said that people must give strict justice to their neighbor. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus showed us the more excellent way and said that our justice must not be like the Pharisees and scribes. It must not be mathematical, um, but rather overflow with compassion and mercy. The old law said that you must forgive your neighbor once. Did you know that? Old Testament. Just your neighbor once. I know some of you were like, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no, no. There were some back then who really excelled and forgave their neighbor three times. Woohoo, three times. They're holy people. Peter, remember Peter? Lord, how many times must I forgive? I forgive seven times. And what he was doing was saying, Look at me. Look how good I am. I do it seven times. To which Jesus says, Seven times? Nah. 77 times, seven times. I would love to have seen Peter's face. <laughs> Excuse me, my Lord. <laughs> but you see, that was the teaching of the time. Our Lord's more excellent way demands greater. In other words, the follower of Jesus forgives as often as the offending neighbor is genuinely sorry. Jesus calls his disciples to an excellence of moral life that reaches beyond the letter of the law and the commandments. We are to do the right thing from the very best of motives and from a heart filled with faith and love. We should heed the words and examples in doing which is of our Lord, which was to walk in holiness, and that glorifies God. 
Jesus' disciples should never ask, what is the least I must do? Do you know that your pastor has been asked that? And they were serious. Pastor Mark, what is the least that I must do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to go to the monastery. <laughs> and my friends, and I know I'm going to get emails about this piece, and I'm not sure how to put this forth. It's in my head, and sometimes it can't come out properly. But last week I spoke about how I wondered if people truly experienced God and uh, how that happens. And when I think about people who say, what is the least that I must do? The person who asked this, I, who asked about this, I think hasn't truly experienced God. And um, sometimes Christians really never search for God, I suppose because they think they have already found him. Uh, but in fact, they haven't. Um, what they have encountered only is the institution that we call church. This is not a slight to the church. What I'm saying is that almost like in Jesus' time, they had the law. And if the law said, walk around in a circle three times, they would do it. Okay, we're done. No. What is the reason why you do that? This is what I'm getting at. And it's religion for some Christians is an institution in which they belong and it provides a certain sense of security to them and that's fine and they understand all the thou shalt not i don't do this that and the other no 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 <laughs> i hear that too oh the church is all about no 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 well, it's because you haven't experienced god that's why but they also know all about the yes 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 what they should do here's what you do here's what you do this that and the other Those are a lot of principles, and that's good. That's a start, but it seems so perfunctory to them, and that's all that remains, and their hearts seem far from God. Uh, God seems absent from their daily living, and when he is there, it seems only in this perfunctory way, and as evidence, I put forth Behavior. Christians who are aggressive and unforgiving and judgmental and greedy and abusive and racist. Last week, Jesus said, you are salt of the world and light. That is not salt and light behavior. That tells me that God is far from them. That means they haven't experienced him, really. It makes me wonder, have they really and I know in proper English is drunk, but that's so weird sounding. Have they really, I'm used to, excuse me, I'm from Detroit. Did you really drink from the waters of living faith? Have they really tasted and experienced? I don't know. It just seems some folks don't really know God and don't have an abiding relationship with our Lord. It seems that our Lord is not experienced by them as a real living person, that they have a deep and abiding relationship with. As the Protestant Christians would say, a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. We have always known that. We just didn't verbalize it that way, but maybe it would be helpful. I don't know. We start saying it that way. 
And here's the great thing, though. The great thing about this is that our Lord pursues such people with such tenacity. Almost to the point, I told people last night, almost to the point where sometimes I get jealous. Well, I'm your priest. What about me? I need some attention. <laughs> That's what I do in the rectory. <laughs> Knowing that he loves me. And so I need to work on myself still. But for those who haven't quite experienced him, he goes to the ends of the universe to find them. If their hearts are truly open, they will come under the influence of God's spirit. And they will truly experience him. And they will begin to change. And my friends, sometimes... Um, I'm at a loss because I, I, we, I think we try to create that, to recreate the experience, and we can't. And this is what is heartbreaking to priests and your pastor. I mean, I don't know how to do that. I mean, we develop programs, especially catechetical programs, and, we, uh, and my hope is that they'll experience God through it. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that we can recreate that experience. All we can do is prepare them and get them set up for it and hope their heart opens. Last night I said, maybe God should put the burning bush right in the middle of our sanctuary. <laughs> maybe that will help you to experience. And shocking to me, a couple was leaving and said, Father, don't you realize you're that burning bush to us? And I was like, oh, no pressure. Thank you. <laughs> now I can go home and think about that. <laughs> A wonderful new couple that just entered the parish. and Incredible. But my friends, that's the struggle and journey of faith. It is lifelong. But on this journey, we taste something extraordinary. The very presence of God which I've been calling the experience of him, of his love, of his mercy, and it makes it all worthwhile. And I know I moved away from really the body of my homily because I was talking about the law and stuff, but my friends, the gospel message we heard is challenging, and the teaching of this reading uh, is to love. And um, where there is love, there will be no need for law. This is what St. Paul is really getting at that sometimes we don't understand. And um, Jesus said that all of God's laws could be reduced to two, love of God and love of neighbor. But in a deeper analysis, when we look at it, then there is only really one law, the law of love. If you love the person, you will not hurt them. If you love them, you will not steal from them. If you love them, you will not commit adultery. If you love them, you will not tear them down. If you love you see, there's really only one. The law of love. And that is extremely challenging because it's not the love that we would use towards ice cream. I love coffee-flavored chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> Just letting you know, after Easter maybe, gift. <laughs> That's a different type of love. The love that Jesus is talking about. You remember, we've learned this word. I didn't teach you these words just to say, look, if Father Mark has it all in his head, these words, has said, has said. 
has said is covenantal love that acts not for oneself, but always for the other. And it is selfless, and it does it no matter what the cost. That's the love that Jesus is talking about. And friends, what we do should reflect who we are, or at least who we want to be.